Amen. You can be opening your Bible to the book of Isaiah. I'm going to, again, cover several verses just because uh, the nature of what we're doing. And um, I want to read this verse to you. Today, uh, we're talking about God's glory. I'm missing my table because we're using it back here. These are representations of the things we've been talking about. Today's we could not represent, uh, but we tried. Um, there's the Bible because we go by Scripture alone. Uh, remember, uh, if, if you need a word from God today, you need to open your Bible. Because if you get it any other way and it agrees with Scripture, then it was unnecessary except for Scripture. And if it doesn't agree with Scripture, it's heretic, heretic, uh, heretical. So, uh, so you can open your word, and we go by Scripture alone. If the Bible says it, if you ever want to have an argument with me, you've got to bring a Bible, okay? Um, and that's fine. I like, and by argument, I mean discussion. Then this represents grace because grace is a gift. The chair represents faith because another word for faith is trust. In fact, it is implicit in the word. It's not a belief only with our mind. It is putting our weight on the truth of the word of God. Through the grace of God, we exercise the faith in God. And then it is in Christ alone that all things, all of these things are one for us. We cannot have them except for the sacrifice of Christ. And then the best we could do was a picture of the burning bush uh, up there to represent today, to God alone be the glory. Sola Dea Gloria. I don't know how many of you are musical. I am not extremely musical. Uh, I enjoy it. I understand it a little bit. Others around me understand it a lot. But, uh, but I, I'm sure you've all heard of Johann Sebastian Bach, right? Um, like, take me Bach to old Virginia. No, wait, not, not that Bach, another Bach. Uh, he was a great, I oh, know, that was a bad joke. He, he, was a, he, he was obviously a great composer. At the bottom of every one of his compositions, he wrote the initials S-D-G, Sola, Dea, Gloria, to God alone be glory. And so today we want to cover that. And I don't like preaching topical sermons. That's what I've been doing for the past four weeks. This makes fifth week. For reasons like this, there is no way I can cover this subject. No way in the world. And the more you study it, the more you realize how little is our ability to express the glory of God. This is about giving God all the glory that is possible. And so I, I hope I just give you a glimpse of it because on every page in Scripture, we see the glory of God. And Isaiah 42, 8, where I asked you to turn, says this, I am Yahweh. And I know in the English Bible it says, I am the Lord. Whenever you see the word Lord there, um, this happened centuries ago in deference to Jewish people who didn't think you ought to write out God's name. They just changed it to the Lord. But when you see it in all capital letters in King James Bible especially, it means Yahweh. It is his name, his very name. He says, I am Yahweh. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. God will not share his glory with anyone else. God will not uh, have anyone else uh, to, to take the glory that belongs only to him. And I'll talk about that more later. I want you, while you keep your finger there, just look with me in uh, Exodus 33. Exodus 33. And here we find a, an astounding verse and, and verses. Moses is on the mountain of Transfi uh, not Mount, uh, Mount Sinai, sorry. Moses is on Mount Sinai, and as he is there, 
uh, the people, as you know, uh, rebelled against God. They got Aaron to make them a golden calf. And uh, Moses comes off the mountain. He heard all the noise. He had the Ten Commandments. And he comes down. And he finds the people uh, just worshiping this golden calf. Um, that didn't make God too happy. Uh, he had the golden calf ground to powder, made all the people drink it. Um, that's what golden calves are good for, by the way, whether they be a credit card or a church building or some other idol you set up in your life. The only thing a golden calf is good for is to grind a powder, and then you have to drink it. And so be careful putting golden cows in your life. It can be a Sunday school room, could be a hymn book, could be a pew. I've seen people worship the pews. Um, just we, we get caught up in things we can see and touch and feel. And so anyway, Moses comes off the mountain, he grinds it, they drink it, and then says, God says, get back up on the mountain. He goes back up there, and, he's, uh, and, and God is speaking to him, and Moses prays that God will not destroy his people. God says, I'm going to wipe them all out, I'm going to start over with you. Now God, that was not God's plan. God's plan will not change, it will not be thwarted. But he was increasing Moses' understanding of who he is. And in, in Exodus 33, uh, uh, 18, we see one of the most amazing verses in all of Scripture because what we see is a man asking God for something that no man can, can have. He says, show me your glory. Look at that in verse 33, 18. Moses says, show me your glory. An amazing verse. Amazing verse. It is probably the boldest prayer ever prayed. I, I, could, I, I would put in there also, and I'm talking about boldness now, uh, the prayer in Acts when the, when, the, when the disciples were tortured, where they were in prison and, and abused for, uh, for Christ's name, that they came back to the prayer meeting and they say, oh, woe is us. Oh, please deliver us from this evil leaders and please help us to boycott them and make sure that nobody else ever gets beaten. They said, God, give us boldness to continue to speak your name. That was their prayer. We whined. They prayed for boldness to not shut up, and they kept going. Well, this prayer exceeds that by spades. It is just, it's an amazing, amazing verse. What would make Moses such a man that he would ask for that? Well, go back up to verse 12 and 13. Moses said to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know when you'll, uh, who you will send uh, with me. Yet you've said, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I found favor in your sight, please show me now your ways. First thing Moses asked God was, show me what you're doing and how you're doing it. Give me some explanation on that. Show me now your ways that I may know that you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider, too, that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Moses said, who's going with me? God said, I'm going with you. It's not Aaron, it's me. I'm going to be the one with you, and I'll give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, don't bring us up from here. In other words, hey, Lord, put up or shut up. If you don't go with me, don't send me. I'm not going to go unless you go with me. It's, I'm telling you, Moses is a bold prayer. We, we get it in the flowery language, and we, we, we don't really understand what Moses is asking for. And then he says, for how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the earth, on the face of the earth. And the Lord said to Moses, Yahweh said to Moses, this very thing that I've spoken to you, that you have spoken, I will do. For you found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, please then show me your glory. So many times we pray and get an answer to prayer, 
And we go, oh, thank you, Lord, and we walk away. Moses gets an answer to prayer, and he goes, let me double it. Show me your glory, please. And God says to Moses in verse 19, I will make all my goodness, did you catch that? Pass before you. I will make all my goodness pass before you. You cannot see God's glory, his, his majesty, without two other things. Goodness is one of them. And then notice what he says. I will make my goodness pass before you. And then he says, um, and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh. Now, Moses is the first man to ever heard God's name. That was back in chapter 3, verse 15 of the same book, Exodus three fifteen. Moses said, when I go, they're going to say, who sent you? And if I say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're going to say, well, if you talk to him, what's his name? And, and God said, Yahweh, I am who I am, is my name. He said, I'll pass before you, and I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, and I will be gracious, or, yeah, and I will be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I'll show mercy. God's goodness and God's sovereignty linked together show God's glory. God said, I'll be merciful to who I'll be merciful. You see, there are those who believe that man has to do something in order to be saved, but if man has to do something, Ephesians 2, 9 says, it is by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so those who believe that believe there is grace, but it's not efficient or effective for salvation. God's grace is not, does not make salvation possible. God's grace makes salvation necessary and makes it practical and so Moses God says that to Moses so I'm going to stick you and this is the cleft of the rock between two a, a crack in this mountain I'll put you there put my hand in front of you and I'm going to walk by and it says I'll let you see the back of me is how it's translated in English I'll cover you with my hand till I've passed by then I will take my hand away my hand and you shall see my back but my face shall not be seen. Hebrews tells us God cannot be seen by human eyes because he is a spirit. And so, so God puts him in the cleft of the rock, puts his hand before him. But I learned something in studying this. I'm telling you, boy, the more you study, the more there is to study about this. That word back insinuates something different than just we think of the backside of God. I try not to turn my back to you guys. But uh, the back of God, it means the train that is following him. Now, I want you to think about that, because what did Isaiah say? I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Remember that? That is what God said to Moses. I'll let you see the flowing train of my glory. And so, we don't manipulate God. We don't tell God what to do. God will show us his glory, and then God will tell us what to do. And when we get a hold of that, what, what is man that we should fear him? Why should we be afraid of anything here when we call that God Father? I wish I was an eloquent preacher, and I, I am not. I stutter, and I stammer, uh, not literally stutter. I don't have that affliction, but trying to get my thoughts out. It's just stuttering and stammering. But I heard a man, he said, Lord, all of this is but stuttering and stammering. But for now, bless my stuttering and stammering. And that's what I ask God to do for me. There was a preacher in the 19th century that was a great preacher, a flowery preacher, and I was reading what he had to say about this, and I want to just quote him. It's dangerous to do what I'm about to do, which is read to you, but I want you to hear what he said. The sun that burns in heavens with all its power, you think he is bright. You look upon him and he dazzles you. 
but all his splendor is but a single thread in the regal skirts of the robe of deity. You have seen night wrapped in her sable manner, woven mantle, woven with gems and stars, and there they shine as ornaments worked by the needle of God in that brilliant piece of tapestry which is spread over our heads like a tent for the inhabitants there to dwell in. You have said, oh, how majestic that star, that comet, that silver moon, how splendid, yet they're nothing but just a tiny portion of the skirts of God being dragged in the dust. But what are the shoulders? What are the girdle of divinity? What the bracelets of Godhead, the crowns that adorn his lofty brow? Man cannot conceive. I could imagine that all the planets and constellations of stars might be put together and threaded by a string and made into a bracelet for his arm or a ring for the finger of Yahweh. But I cannot conceive what God himself is. All I can ever learn, all that the thunder ever spoke, all that the boisterous ocean could ever teach me, all that the heaven above or the earth beneath ever opened to my mind is nothing but the back parts of God. I can never see him nor can fully understand what he is. Isn't that awesome? I hadn't been able to get over that all week since I read it. Listen, you're giving glory to somebody. Who is it? That's what I want you to take home with you today. You're giving glory to somebody. Who is it? Go back to our text in Isaiah 42. In Isaiah 42, 8, I just want to point out some things out of that verse. First of all, Yahweh is the name of God. He goes by no other name. If you're serving a God by any other name than his, it's not the God of the Bible. He's very clear here in this verse that Yahweh is his Name and he does not share glory with anyone else. He says he gives no glory to another. In other words, he has the power and the right to keep and to give. Did you notice that? He says in, in 42 8, I am Yahweh, that is my name. My glory I give to no other. If someone wants to get glory like God gets glory, they have to get his permission to get it. Are you following my thinking here? It is foolish to even think we can get it because he owns it. And when we try to steal it, you think God turns his back so he cannot see? This, the Bible says in Hebrews, God sees everything. What we do in the dark, he sees. There's nothing that is hidden from the God with whom we have to do. And so if any man would get glory, he would have to steal it from God. And God does not allow you to do that. You following me? And he says, and so I don't give it to anyone else either. We would be foolish people to try to, find, to, try to uh, get glory for ourselves from God. I want to talk about that a little bit more later. He has the power to give it or keep it, and he shares it with no one else. And he doesn't share it with idols, obviously. That would be crazy. So many times we say, well, those people are sincere. I know they're worshiping a carved idol or an icon in you know, their religions that have icons, saints, all that stuff. And well, they're, just, they're, they're a little bit ignorant, but they're sincere. God says, I certainly don't share my glory with carved idols and those kinds of things. I am Yahweh, and I am God. And so God alone is worthy of our glory. He's the only one to whom we can, can give glory. Give thanks, give praise. I mentioned Ephesians 2.9. I, I would appreciate if you could turn there back in the, in the New Testament. We, pre, um, we, we based a lot of these sermons out of Ephesians 2.8, 9, and 10. And so we return to it 
to point out about the glory of God. In, in, in Ephesians 2.9, he says, not as a result of work so that no one can boast. All right, so what God is telling us there is that there is nothing we can do to earn, deserve, or even re get salvation. When a man prays in faith to God for the very first time, it is because God has redeemed him. And saved people will express faith in God, and unsaved people never will. Now, once you understand that, you get what I'm, what I'm driving at, God's glory. God, in the context of all of it, we, and that sermon we preached, uh, we talked about this, that we were dead in trespasses and sin, and God made us alive to behold him, to see him. Our eyes were blinded by death. Our ears were deafened by, uh, by death. Our tongue was silenced by death. And God made us alive so we could see, so we could hear, and we could speak what he put in our heart. And he says, it's not of works. It's not that you said, I think I'll follow God and follow God. God will put it in your heart to follow him. And you say, I will follow you. And you won't do that apart from his work in your life. And we get glory to ourselves when we begin to say, well, I have great faith. <laughs> right. Faith in what? Faith in God who is sovereign is going to do what he wants to do. We have faith in God who's already worked and acted. So we choose God because God redeemed us. He saves us. He calls us to himself. And when he calls us, we answer and we go. God has given us a responsibility. Let me just, I already said, when God answers prayer, man, pray it double. Say, hey, that was great. God, do it again. That's, Jesus gave parables about that. But I want you to understand this about salvation. What has he given for us to do? This God who has saved us and called us out, what did he say do? He said, go to all the world and preach the gospel to every creature it is our job from a sovereign God to go to all the world and tell them about Jesus. Because God uses our witness to them so they know who it is that is calling them to himself. Because God has people that he wants to call to himself. And when we pray, nobody ever prays, oh Lord, help me convince them to be saved. We always pray, God save them, don't we? And that's what I'm talking about. That's why we do missions. That's why we do evangelism. That's why we go around the world and in our own community, in our own city, in every place we can, every way we can. We preach Christ because we are under command of God to do so. The results are up to him. The obedience is up to us. You following me? You with me? I know I'm saying some stuff that maybe this is the first time you ever contemplated or thought about it. And, and it can... And it can it goes deep. But let me, let me give you the negative side. Maybe I should have started with the negative side because I hate to end on a negative, but we'll see it. There are people in the Bible that tried to claim God's glory, and I, I want to just mention a few of them. First of all, Lucifer. In the book of Isaiah, in chapter 14, 11 to 17, I, I didn't mark it, but I'm going to turn there just because it is it, it's vital and important. I, I want you to see this. You, you, you may have always wondered... When was Satan, when, when did he come about? His name was Lucifer before he, he did this uh, evil thing, uh, Isaiah 14. Um, his name was Lucifer. He was created as one of the highest angels, and yet he rebelled against God. And Isaiah 14 tells the story of that. Now, the problem we have is we don't know when he did this. We know it was before Satan tempted Eve, but how long back before that, we don't know. We don't know when he was created. He was created before the Garden of Eden. We know that uh, because just obviously. And 
we see other angels at the garden after man's fall. But here's what Satan said in Isaiah 14, 11 to 17. I won't do this with all of these, but he says, Your pump is brought down to Sheol, or the place of the dead, the sound of your hearts. Maggots are laid as a bed beneath you and worms over your covers. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. There above the stars of God, all the angels and all the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend in the heights of, above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you're brought down to hell, to the far reaches of the pit. For those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who made the earth to tremble and shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? We've got riots going on in the streets in some of the cities of this country. We have unrest and war around the world, and we sometimes wonder, what is going on? The Bible says it's coming today when we look at it and go, that was you? You thought that? You did that? Who did you think you were? Because we'll see God in his glory, and we'll wonder why such a puny creature would ever think he could beat God. So Lucifer... God created hell because of Lucifer. Sheol was made for Satan and his angels. That's, he doesn't run hell. God runs hell and God don't rent. But, then he, but the Bible does tell us also that hell had to be enlarged because of the work of the devil. He became Satan in Hebrew, Satan, the accuser, the evil one. In Genesis 4, we read of Cain after Adam sinned against God. Cain and Abel, his two sons, bring an offering to God. And, you know, Abel brought a lamb and Cain brought food that he had tended and grown out of his garden. And sometimes people have wondered, why did God reject Cain's offering? Because it was the work of his hands. And not the picture of the sacrifice that God had made in the garden for Adam and Eve Eden when he killed an animal and made for them clothing, telling them sin causes death. Abel understood and he brought an offering of blood to God to say, I get it, sin brings death. But Cain brought, look what I have done for you. And God rejected him and God just said, no, that's not what I'm after. Now, Cain like most people, just had a pity party. Oh, God didn't like me. He liked my brother. I can't believe it. My, my brother, not me. So he kills his brother and becomes a murderer. And God curses him. And that's how he had to live for the rest of his days under the curse of God. Moses, not all of them were bad guys. <laughs> Moses, in Numbers 20, God told him to speak to the rock. And Moses takes his rod and he hits the rock twice and he says these words, must I, must we bring you water out of this rock? He claimed the glory of God. He claimed the miracle for himself that he thought he could just hit a rock with God's stick and make the water come forth. And God said, because you took glory for yourself and you didn't glorify me, you won't be able to go into the promised land. And when they got there, when it's time to go in, Moses begged him, Lord, please let me go in. He said, no. You took my glory for yourself. I'll let you look at it, but you're not going in. But then what did God do? He blessed him, took him to the promised land. 
and heaven, the presence of God. But Moses had to pay on earth for what he had done. David, in 2 Samuel, he sends out a man to make a census. And the man said, oh, David, don't sin against God like this. They said, no, I'm telling you, I want to know how many men of fighting age we got. Go count them. And they're counting them, and they didn't even go to one place because they were like, man, this is just too much. I'm not doing this. This is dangerous. And as soon as they finished and reported to David, David realized his sin. And he asked God for forgiveness. And God said, no, I've got to punish you. And he gave him three choices, and David chose one. At the end of that, it was three days under the mighty hand of God. And at the end of that, he goes to the threshing floor, and he says, let me buy this from you. And he created an altar there and prayed, and God stopped the, the plague that was coming. Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 4, he walked around and looked at the, one of the seven wonders of the ancient world that he had overseen its building. And he talked about how great a man he was. And God made him eat grass like an animal for years until he came back and he worshipped the God of heaven because he realized what he had done. And one of the ones that you probably are most familiar with in the book of Acts, old Harry got up, made a speech. <laughs> and the people said, oh, it's the voice of a God, not of a man. And instead of Herod said, no, 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 I'm a man, he just absorbed that glory and God killed him on the spot and he got eaten by worms. Wow, that's interesting. That, that'll just about ruin a church service, you know that? <laughs> that was in Acts 12. You see, when we try to steal glory from God, when we try to be proud about what we have accomplished, we are forgetting the only reason we breathe is because of God. The only reason my heart is still beating is because of God. The only reason I have strength to stand up here on this stage today is because of God. The only reason I dare open his word and try to give you some of it is because of the glory of God. And I, Paul said, by the grace of God I am who I am. I've got no, arguably, except for Christ, one, he's, he, he was one of the greatest men that ever lived, let's put it that way. Wrote 13 books in the New Testament and other things that we don't have that he sent. And he said, I am the chief of sinners. He would not steal God's glory because he had seen the risen Lord and he knew better than to do that. How about you? You're giving glory to something or someone. What is it? Who is it? I just got a couple of suggestions. Be careful not to give glory to someone other than God. Just be careful not to do that. It's okay to appreciate things, and, you know, I, I get that. But never forget the basis of any good is God. Any, any good thing in your life, the Bible says in James 1, is a gift from God. The Father of light in whom there's no variableness nor shifting shadow. God is God. He does not change. He does not share his glory with anyone else. And so when something good is accomplished or something good comes to your life, give God glory for that. Secondly, be careful to recognize your need of grace. Listen, man, without him, we're lost. And I thank God that he gives us grace so that we can respond to his love. But don't forget, that came from him. You're not a better Christian because of what you do. You're better, you are a saved Christian because of what God did, because of what Christ did and the Holy Spirit did. And then be careful to not attempt to steal God's glory. I know it sounds like number one, but Satan tried to steal God's glory. 
Some of these others made some bad mistakes, but Herod and Satan and Nebuchadnezzar especially tried to steal God's glory. Be careful not to do that. There are those who are doing that today. We see them on television, hear them on the radio, in all aspects of life around the world. David struggled with that. He said, why do the wicked prosper and the righteous seem to be having such trouble? He said, and I would have worried about that until I went to the house of the Lord and I went, oh, I get it. Their foot is in a slippery place and in the end they're going to slip and fall and be in hell. But we have communion with our Father and when we give Him glory, it doesn't matter what happens to us here. Knowing that God is such an awesome, unbelievable God and he set his love on us that he would put on flesh and die for us on a cross that the Father would let the Son come and do that and then the Son gives us the Holy Spirit. Why do we want anything else? Why do we desire anything else? When we have that God as our Father. There was an atheist many, many years ago named Voltaire and he said that a hundred years after his death Christianity would be extinct. That was the pride of his mind and his teaching. A hundred years after his death, his estate was the headquarters of the European Bible Society. Don't try to take God's glory. Father, sola dea gloria. To you alone be glory. Lord, I, I, this morning I speak these words with fear and trembling. I, I, I can still hear the nervousness of my own voice that I dare would talk about your glory. You are a merciful God and do not destroy us, but rather you set your love on us through the justice that was poured out on Jesus Christ who gives us the Holy Spirit so that we might know you and commune with you and understand your word, and, and dare to pr pray to you. Lord God, may we always give you glory. I thank you for those songs we sang today about your glory. And Lord, with the hymn writer, using this example of Moses, we, we say, rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Lord, may we be hidden there in that rock of grace so we can just at least see the train, the ends of it as, it as it passes past us and kicks up dust of stars and universes that only you could imagine. Oh God, may today we get just a glimpse of who you are, who we are, so we understand the tremendous weight of the grace given to us. Oh, Lord, we love you. And then may we never say no to you. When you call us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, how dare we not do that? Lord, we, we don't need to wait for a conviction or a feeling. We've got a command. and we don't. The only option we have is to go do it. So help us, Lord, lead us, guide us, show us how you have us to do that very thing. For this is the work for which you left us here. You said in the verse 10 of Ephesians 2, 
that we would perform the works that you had prepared beforehand that we would walk in those works. So Lord, we know you've got a job and a task for us or else we'd already be with you. So as long as we're breathing air on this planet, here we serve you. And then we look forward to the day when we see you face to face and we will be like you according to 1 John 3. We will be like you for we will see you as you are. Lord, we look forward to the day when we'll be able to do that. We know that if we saw that now, we would die in this body. This body would just melt away. And so, Lord, we look forward to the day when you prepare us to be able to see you and to have communion with you face to face for eternity. Lord, we love you. And I pray right now for anybody that's heard this, anybody in this auditorium or whenever they might see it online, those are tuning in right now. God, that you would just open our heart to understand what a great God you are. And as we've talked about, that we, are, we, we base everything on Scripture, that, that we understand that, that we have grace and that faith activates that grace in our life and that we only have Christ for our salvation and our source of all things that we need. All this is done, Lord, that we might give you glory and so lord may we not hold on to that may we not hold on to our to any glory that 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 is lying around us but may we be sure to just as hard as we can do it shovel all glory towards you and give you all praise and honor because it belongs to you you have all the power and dominion now and forever in heaven and on earth and we thank you that we get to call you father and Lord, that means so much more when we understand your glory. It's not sappy and earthly. And I just pray that those who don't know you may today be awakened to their need of you by the Holy Spirit. That Lord, you would move in their hearts and lives and quicken them so that they will say yes to the God who loves them and died for them. Lord, we thank you that we don't have to trust in our power. We can trust in your power to accomplish your will in this world. And our job is to be obedient. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, when you came in, as Pastor Stephen said, you, you received this communion cup. And when we, we take communion, there's uh, some things that, that can happen. And that is, uh, first of all, we remember what God has done. And we can confess our own sin. This is a reminder of Christ's death for us on the cross and his resurrection. And so we need to be right with God. We need to be right with each other. So when, as we pause for a moment to pray, we pray that we'll be right with God the Father and we'll be right with each other. And if God reveals to you somewhere where you're not and you can, you can do something about that, you ought to do it. In 1 Corinthians 11 Paul talks about the Lord's table and he, and he tells us there that we ought to not take this in a, in a light way. He says, I received from the Lord what I delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. 
And as we eat this bread that represents your body, we remember what you did. In Jesus' name, amen.